0: It's good to be back, worshiping with you. I feel like I've been gone quite a bit on the road. Last week, uh, I was in Council Bluffs, Iowa. If those of you that have been at Journey for a while, Pastor Troy and Steph say hi. I was preaching, still carrying his water at his church, and so, um, <laughs> that's not true, although I did take a shot at him in the sermon. Um, but I got to Council Bluffs, and I was excited because Megan, my wife, got to travel with me. and. She usually doesn't get to travel a lot with me, and I'm gone almost every weekend for CSF when I'm not here. And so this is going to be great. We're going to go, we'll we'll get there, we'll have dinner. Maybe we'll watch the Husker game. They might actually win, and it'll be great. And so we're on our way, and we get ready to leave, and everything is running late. We're running late. I'm yelling at my wife. She's just being nice because she's better than me. And we get in the truck, and we get there, and we go out to eat. We have a nice dinner. And then we get back to the hotel, and I said, hey, Megan, did you throw my bag in here? And she said, what bag? I said, the bag with all of my clothes in it. She says, would that be the blue bag that was on the bed? Yes, that would be the one, dear. So uh, this outfit today is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart. Um, In case you're curious, you can get this shirt, these pants, these shoes, and a pack of men's underwear for (laughs) $86.95. And by the time, so we get there, so I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and then I stay up way too late watching football. I can't sleep. So I get to church the next morning, and they have an eight o'clock service, which was spectacular. And uh, so I have to be there at seven. I walk in, I'm half asleep, and I remember sitting in this first service, and I'm thinking to myself, and I'm praying, and I'm getting ready, and I'm just like, God, I just don't know what I brought today. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure whatever I brought is not what you intended. Like, I just do not, I just don't know what you're going to get from me today. And and I don't know about you, but I I think that's a question I often have, not, not just on Sunday morning, but sometimes during the day and sometimes in my life I don't know what your life looks like or what your morning looked like this morning but I think that's a good question for you and I to ask is is God what what am I bringing you today Uh, God what are you going to get from me Uh, Leviticus is going to help us flesh that out this morning we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 2 and Leviticus is the book that we often overlook right Like it's the one in your reading plan that you use to catch up from when you fell behind. Like you get to Leviticus and you're four weeks behind, and you're like, well, I can just skip Leviticus. It'll be good, right? It's the one we don't talk about because it it doesn't seem to make sense to us. It's the one that at least one of the three people who teach here doesn't like to preach out of. You can guess which one. Um, And and we're going to be in this this morning, but here's what Leviticus does do. Like Leviticus doesn't teach us, I don't think it's intended to teach us specifics. I don't think it's designed to teach us like here's exactly what you should do today because we live in a new covenant and a lot of the things in Leviticus were part of what they had to do before Jesus came, but this is what Leviticus does do for us. Leviticus maybe doesn't teach us the specifics of what we're supposed to do, but it does teach us the principles of why we do it. I think Leviticus, it doesn't necessarily shed a lot of light on the what. But Leviticus certainly illuminates the why. Uh, We may not get uh, what, what we're supposed to offer to God specifically this morning that are applicable to us. I don't think we have to do the same things that they're doing in Leviticus. But we certainly can get the how we are supposed to come to God. And the why we are supposed, the expectation of what we offer to God. I think it's a really good question to ask is what is God getting from us? Leviticus 2 is going to shed light on that question. And I think oftentimes we ask the other question, right? Like what am I going to get from God? It's like the man who, who went to God and he said, God, I'm trying to understand you. And God, what, what is like, what's a million years like to you? And, and God said, well, a million years is it's like a second. And the guy says, man, that, that's incredible. He said, so, so what's, a, what's a million dollars like to you? And God says, well, it's like a penny. And the guy smiles and he says, well, God, you, you think you could spare a penny? And God says, yeah, just give me a second. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Leviticus this morning As we pull out some of the verses in chapter 2, you're going to see that it gives us this overarching picture of what God should get from us. In Leviticus chapter 2, we see that God should get our best. God should get our best. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 1 says, "...when anyone brings a grain offering..." as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it. He shall put frankincense on it. He will bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and the oil. And then he skip over to verse 5, and it says in verse 5, and if your offering is a grain offering, bake it on a griddle. It shall be fine flour unleavened, mixed with oil, break it into pieces, put oil on it. It's a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, make it with fine flour, make it with oil. It goes on and on and on, and we read that and go, okay. (laughs) I did not get up at 8.30 this morning to hear this, right? But don't miss this. You and I don't have to worry about the grain and the oil and the frankincense and what we do. You You didn't have to bake a pancake and put it in the offering plate this morning, okay? But notice that there's details, Right? Like, it isn't just something that you, they walked into worship and go, okay, God, here you go. Like, they had to offer what was best to God. You see, the grain offering is different than the other sacrifices that you heard about last week and that you read about in Leviticus. The grain offering's purpose is not for atonement or forgiveness of sins. The grain offering is a worship offering. It's a praise offering. It's a thanksgiving offering. It's giving back to God. Because he's given so much to us. And so the question that we're going to ask over and over and over again until you're sick of it this morning is what's God getting from us? Does God get the best? Or does God get the rest? I don't know what life is like in your home, but I will be honest, in my home, sometimes that's where the leftovers happen. Like we, we say this all the time, like work will get nuts and the kids are running 50 million places and by the time I get home, Megan loves this phrase, I get home and like I've just had meeting after meeting and decision after decision and I'll get home and Megan will say something very innate, nothing overly, and she'll be like, hey, what do you, you think? Uh, you want burgers or chicken for supper? And I'll go, I'm done making decisions today. <laughs> she'll just go, oh, it's one of those weeks, great. <laughs> right? And she'll be like, hey, do you, you want to watch this? Or you, I'm not making a decision. I'm out. And I don't, I don't know what your life is like, but oftentimes what we've noticed is in our home, where we get the most grace, right? And where people love us the most is often what gets what's left over from me. And I think Leviticus reminds us that, that that's not how we come to God either. That, that God is, is where we have the richest of blessings, God is where we receive the abundance of grace, and yet oftentimes God gets what's left over. Bible scholar Alan Mosley said this. He says, when we read the description of the five major sacrifices in the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we should keep in mind that this whole system, all these sacrifices and offerings, they were given by God as an invitation for his people to meet him and worship him. God wasn't just giving them a bunch of stuff to do and, and details for how to do it to be mean or just to, to, to show that he was in charge. God was saying, this is an invitation for you to come. And when you and I live our lives before Almighty God, he should get the best, not the rest. Leviticus teaches us that God gets our best and that God gets our only Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11 says this, No grain offering, no grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. Now leaven in Leviticus and in, in the Old Testament throughout Scripture, when they talk about leaven and even no honey, it's because those are two things that can ferment and contaminate an offering. So it's this idea that that they represented corruption and evil and and sin. And so the idea is that we're reminded in this verse in Leviticus that that we're to come before God pure and clean. God's to get our only. And and what I mean by that is when I say our only, it's, it's that God gets all of our allegiance. God is the only one to whom we surrender. God is the only one to whom we pledge allegiance. God is the only one who's worthy of our worship. That when you and I come to God, it's not that he just gets our best, it's that he gets our only. That our our devotion is not divided between him and something else. Twice a day in the Old Testament, God's priests who would bring offerings to God, twice a day they were reminded that they should maintain purity and integrity because God was who they served and they could not come before him unclean. Leviticus reminds you and me this morning that we are to come to God and come to him wholeheartedly, that our worship and our devotion cannot be divided. Now notice what's not mentioned in Leviticus chapter 2. In Leviticus chapter 2, atonement for sin is never mentioned. Forgiveness for what we've done is never mentioned. That's because that's already been taken care of in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1, where they had to bring burnt offerings to God, sacrificing a bull, the blood, all that stuff, that was so they could be made clean in the eyes of God. And the order of Leviticus matters. You can't have Leviticus 2 unless you've gone through Leviticus 1. You and I cannot offer something to God until we've been cleansed by God. You and I cannot come before God until we've been forgiven and set free by God. And thankfully for you and me, we don't have to do what they did. You and I don't have to bring a bowl this morning. We don't have to kill it. We don't have to sprinkle blood over all of you. Can I get an amen, right? All right. We don't have to do that. Because Jesus already did that for us. Jesus, once and for all, went to the cross and paid the price for our sins. We don't have to bring the burnt offerings of Leviticus 1 because Jesus already was Leviticus 1 for you and me. We don't have to go through Leviticus 1, got to go through Jesus. Jesus offered himself once and for all, and by his death, by his blood that was shed on the cross for your sins and for my sins, by that blood we are made clean and we are ready to bring an offering of praise and worship to the one who has set us free. Jesus is the only one who paid the price for your life and mine. And what that means is he is the only one that should get our life he's the only one. It's his. He bought it. He and he alone paid the ransom so that you and I could be set free. And that means when you and I come to worship him, when we live our lives of worship for him, he is the only one that gets that allegiance. In Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without Jesus, you and I have nothing to offer. And Jesus is the only one who could offer himself for us. So he's the only one who should get us. God should get our best. He should get our only. God should get our first. In Leviticus 2, verse 14, it says, If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits. Fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grain. Over and over again, not just in Leviticus 2, but throughout the book of Leviticus, throughout the Old Testament law, we hear this phrase, first fruits, that God gets what's first in our life because we trust that with God, he can do more with our first than we can do with everything. We trust that God will supply us with the leftovers, not the other way around. I bring to God everything I have first And I trust that God will take care of me with whatever's left. I don't take care of me and then bring to God the leftovers. Why? Because God gets my best. God gets my only and God gets my first by, by giving their first fruits, God's people were recognizing that it was God who had provided it to begin with. It was God who had given them the land to grow this and everything that it produced in the first place. In James chapter 1, James says this. He says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It's from God. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a first fruits of his creation. It's all God's in the first place, right? We say that all the time. Usually it's done when we talk about giving God financially or when we talk about tithing. It's all God's anyway. We're just giving back to him a portion of what he's given to us. But let me ask you something this morning, church. Do we really believe that about everything in our life? Do we really give God the first? What are we really giving to God? What's God really getting from you and me? Do we really give him first? Now, now I don't know about you. We're all different. But, but the money thing for me is it's is actually really easy. Giving God the first. My wife trained me in that a long time ago. And she runs all that anyway, so I don't even know if we have money. (laughs) All right? I just get a check and go, here you go. Right? But that so that isn't that isn't a challenge. But let me ask you something this morning. Does God get the first fruit of your time? When when you sit down to think about what's going on this week, do you go, okay, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna map out my time with you first. Does God get the first fruit of our job? And our work, does, does he get the first fruits in our families? Th- does he get the first fruits with our talents and our abilities, our thoughts, our words? What's God really getting from us? See, they're, they're all gods, <laughs> right? Our, our money is all gods, what we own is all gods, but your time, that's all gods too, Our job, our families, our talents, our abilities, our thoughts, our words, they're all God's. All of it. We're only giving back to him what's already his. What he's supposed to get. So church, let me ask this morning, what would that look like for you and me? Like like what would change? If, If you and I really believe that worship is more than what we do on Sunday morning? if we really believe that our life, like Romans 12, our life is an offering to God, right? A sacrifice of worship. If you and I really believe that, what would it look like for God to get the first of our finances? What would have to change? What would change for God to get the first fruits of our time? The first fruits of our job? What would it look like to give God first in our families, in our thoughts, and in our words? What would that look like? Leviticus reminds us that, that God should get our best. He deserves it. God should get our only. He's the only one who paid the price for our life, and God should get our first. I have a guy that works for me in Kearney. Uh, he's our, one of our international student campus ministers in Kearney. His name is John There's no other, I love John. John is a home run for us. He's one of the best people that work at CSF. But I'm going to tell you something, John is weird. (laughs) All right? Like, if you ever meet John, this is a quirky, quirky dude. Um, He's got a weird mustache. Um, When he was in college, he had, like, you remember the old 80s rat tails? John had one of those, but it was so wide, I used to call it a beaver tail. Like, the dude is, he's strange, man. And one day, John and I are talking on the phone, and I said, I'm just first having a conversation, and John goes, oh, I almost forgot to tell you. He said, yesterday I was outside the CSF house, and he said these four guys moved in across the street, and they were unloading the truck, and I looked over, and I said, boy, they don't look like they're from here. I'll go meet them. So I walked over across the street and started talking. Come to find out, Justin, they were from Afghanistan. They were four guys who had just been discharged from the Afghan army and moved to the United States. In fact, two of them were generals. And I thought, you know, well, if they are in the army, they must like guns. I like guns. So I started talking to them about guns. I invited them over later for supper. I'm going to bake them some cookies and go back tomorrow. What would you do today? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like... I don't know, John. I watched a couple of reruns of Law and Order. <laughs> <laughs> My God, you're so weird. <laughs> John knows I tell that story, and he's okay with it because of how I end it. You know what I've what I discovered, church? When I read scripture, when I read about the dedication of God's people as they were led out of the wilderness into freedom, when I read about In the New Testament, the disciples who walked with Jesus, when I read the book of Acts in the early church, you know what I figured out? John's not weird, we are. Because what I see in Scripture is people like John who the first part of everything in their life is what's God doing and how can he use me? You know what I don't ever find in Scripture? People watching Law and Order sitting on the couch. John might be weird by my standards, but that dude... God gets his first every day. And that's why John has crazy cool stories that sometimes I don't have. Church, let me gently ask, what, what is God getting from you? What are we bringing to God? Because the reality of Leviticus, the last thing we see, it's really that God should get everything. God gets our best, our only, our first. The reality is he should get everything. Everything. The God we worship is the Lord of all things. (laughs) He's the redeemer and restorer of all things. He's the provider of all things. So the reality is when you and I offer anything to God, it's already his. When we offer our best gifts, when, when we live a life of sacrifice and worship to God, when we express our gratitude for everything he's given us, it's all his. Bible commentator Alan Mosley says, Are you grateful to God for what you have? He says, show me someone who's not grateful to God for what he has, and I'll show you someone who has forgotten that God is the one who allowed him to have it in the first place. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3. He said, whatever you do, there's no selecting. (laughs) Whatever you do, do it all in word or deed. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, the people in the days of Leviticus, they were wanderers. Uh, They were nomads. They were moving from captivity to the promised land. And and what that means is that they probably didn't plant gardens or or plant grain. Like they didn't stop long enough to to cultivate this stuff. And because of that, the grain that they're actually offering to God, it had to be be ground in a fine flour. It was very rare. It was extremely valuable. They were wandering in the wilderness. And some scholars believe, and there's no real way to know, but some scholars believe that initially the grain that they're giving to God is probably the grain that they had packed to take with them so they could plant for food when they reached the promised land. They probably had satchels of grain that they had taken when they were freed, and they were going to keep that until they got to the promised land so they could plant and have sustainable life. Now now if that's true, and there, and there really is no way to know if that's actually what it was, that would mean that they were giving their grain as an act of faith. They were trusting that God was going to give them back and provide what they would have, that He would give them enough so they could plant a crop when they finally arrived. Church, I, I just have one more question. I don't like this question. <laughs> Church, when was the last time you or I gave to God in a way that had depleted or emptied our reserves so much that we had to trust that he'd provide for us to get there? Maybe that's our finances. Maybe that's our talents. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's whatever. But when was the last time you or I gave to God so sacrificially that it depleted and emptied us in such a way that if God didn't bring that back, we weren't going to make it. Stanley Tam was the original owner of a company called U.S. Plastic. Stanley Tam, early in his business, made a decision that would change the trajectory of his life. Uh, Stanley Tam... decided that U.S. Plastic, when it started, it had kind of an annual revenue of of less than $200,000. Now, that's a lot of money to a lot of us, but in the world of business, that's a pretty small change. Well, Stanley believed that God would bless his business, and he wanted to honor God from the start, so he legally transferred 51% of his business to God. He legally signed a contract that said God was the majority owner of U.S. Plastics. 51% 51% of the company's profits were set aside and given to missions and kingdom causes. But that wasn't enough for him. After he read the parable of the merchant who found the pearl of great price and sold everything he owned to obtain it, Stanley Tam made a decision to divest himself of all shares of U.S. Plastics. In January 15th of 1955, every share of stock in U.S. Plastics was transferred to its senior partner, God. And if you go to the business paperwork, it says God owned U.S. Plastics. Stanley became a salaried employee the rest of his life of the company he started. Since that day, Stanley made that defining decision. He has given away more than $100 million to Kingdom Work. Now, here's the deal, church. That story seems seems like it's about giving away a lot of money, doesn't it? And and maybe there's hints in this sermon that make you feel like this is about giving away a lot of money. Maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, they got the guy that runs the missions, that guy that he's one of our missions, he's talking about money. I heard he had a board meeting yesterday. (laughs) That story seems like that, but, but here's the truth, church. That story is really not about giving away a lot of money. That story is about giving God all of your heart and your life. It just so happened that's how it convicted Stanley Tam to act. And it might be similar for you, and it might be something completely different. The question of Leviticus, that's the beauty of this. It's not about what you give. Nobody's putting pancakes in the offering this morning. Leviticus is about, does God have your heart? And does he have your life? It's telling a bigger story this morning. It's not just showing us historically what God did. It's telling us what God should get from his people. He should get our best. He should get our only. He should get our first, and he should get our everything. Why? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is. Gave for us all those things. Jesus gave his best, his pure and spotless life. Jesus was the only one who could die for you and me. Jesus saw us and he gave of himself first. He went to the cross first so you and I wouldn't have to. Jesus gave everything. Why? Because you have his heart. Why would Jesus give everything? Because you have his heart. And so, church, what that means is he should have your life. Jesus said in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He said, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, don't miss that, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life will keep it for eternal life. Did you know that you have Jesus's heart this morning? The question is, does he have your life? I got through the first service Sunday, half asleep. (laughs) I get to second service. I'm, I'm not getting less cranky, let's just put it that way. And we're singing, and I'm in the front, and I'm just not that into it. And I'm like, okay, God, I got, I got to get it together. And then out of the blue, out of a side door comes this big old dude, looks a lot like me, same age, same size. And it's my college roommate who goes to the church. And, and him and I have been, we were, I mean, dumb in college. Dumber, right? And... Uh, like, he's went through this whole thing in his life. He's had tons of struggles. Uh, he almost lost, he, he, he's been divorced. He almost lost his kids. And he has just worked so hard to be the man and the dad that God wants him to be. And I know this history. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what's he doing? And I look over, and here comes his two daughters. And I sit there, and I watch him baptize them into Jesus. And now you guys know, if you've been here a while, like, I'm not a big crier, right? That was the last guy. All right? <laughs> I made that joke in his church, too, and it landed, <laughs> All right. and I am done to the point where my dear, sweet wife goes, are you okay, and I am like, no, I'm not, and I'm like, come on, get it together, Ralston, let's go, like I'm literally in the front giving myself a pep talk as I'm trying to preach, I'm like, get it together, and I get on stage, and I'm, I'm just, I can't, I can't do it. And it just hit me like all the other stuff doesn't matter like 85 bucks at walmart who cares right like the fact that you don't get much sleep no big deal the fact that you had to be there at eight the fact that this didn't go right or that song slide didn't work or the fact that the sermon probably wasn't that good i'm just watching this and going jesus i'm sorry this is what it is. It's not about all the things I bring. It's about you having my life. That Jesus, this, 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 you've had his heart for years. Like, like those little girls have had Jesus' heart their whole life. The question is, does he have your life? Because you certainly have his. And so church, I invite you this morning as the band comes, I'm going to pray. And I invite you to stand. And I invite you to give Jesus your life. I invite you to give him everything you have because you should know the Savior you sing to, you have his heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you love us even when we're completely unlovable. Jesus, thank you that you gave everything even when we give you nothing. And so God, this morning as we sing and as we worship, as we take communion, as we leave, as we go to our jobs and our families and our weeks, God, would you get us? Would you help us, God, to give you our best, to give you our only, to give you our first, and to give you everything? Because Jesus, you already gave everything for us. And the beautiful thing this morning is regardless of what we do, we still have your heart because your love is perfect when ours is not, and your forgiveness is complete. And so, Jesus, we rest and we worship in that. Amen.